It justifies us so that we can stand in liberty, justified before the Heavenly Father. The blood sanctifies us. You don't hear that a lot today in churches, but I can tell you that sanctified means set apart. It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from those profane things, those things that are not the will of God, set apart unto him. The blood gives us abundant life. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. That's not ordinary life. That's Zoe. That's God kind of life. That's really living. Then the blood gives us mercy. Jeremiah, one of my favorite. Well, it's all my favorite. But he said, it's because of your mercies, your loving kindness, we're not consumed. Your mercies, your loving kindness is new every morning. That's the blood. Great is your faithfulness. Then the blood gives us access into the Holy of Holies by a new and living way. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, do you understand? We don't have to go anywhere to do that. We can enter in because he's in us and so I want, to, I want to take you to a place I believe will really, really encourage you. I was thinking about this, this passage that 1 John 2 says, I remind you, dear children, verse 12 in the Passion, your sins have been permanently removed because of the power of his name. I remind you, fathers and mothers, you've the only mentioned, John, this is like 90 A.D., 90 years. John is up in age, and he's writing this letter to people who are being seduced by other things and religion and so forth. And he says, you have a relationship with the one who has existed from the beginning. And I remind you, young people, you have defeated the evil one. I write these things to you, dear children, because you truly have a relationship with the Father. I write these things, fathers and mothers, because you have had a true relationship with Him who is from the beginning. And I write these things, young people, because you are strong. The Word of God is treasured in your hearts, and you have defeated the evil one. Then he says, don't set your affections on your heart, of your heart, on this world, or loving the things of the world. That's the world system. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some things that really the Lord began to deal with me over in Isaiah 63. It's a passage of Scripture that I've read before, but I never I began to see this unfold because the prophet Isaiah, there's a lot of prophecies about Jesus, the Redeemer, who's coming. Seven, eight hundred years before Jesus shows up, Isaiah looks across the prophetic peaks of time and he sees a redeemer and a savior. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he writes these words. Now, I want us to read the first verse of Isaiah 63, verse 1 from the Passion that said, Who is this coming from the city of Basra in Edom? Basra was a city in Edom. Actually, that word Basra means sheepfold. Or fortress. Edom is uh, a, it's a it's a kingdom, ancient kingdom in Transjordan, um, 
Edom here is a symbolic term of the enemies of God. Now, he says he's dressed in garments of bright scarlet, robed in a garment dyed bright red, marching like a champion in his great power and might. It is I, I'm the one who announces righteousness. I'm mighty and ready to save. Now, this is Jesus in the book of Isaiah. Why are your robes so red like those of one treading grapes? I've been treading in the winepress alone, and there was no one there from the nations to help me. I stomped on the nations in my anger and trampled them down in my wrath. Their blood soaked my clothing and stained all my robes, for a day of vengeance was in my heart, and the time of my redeeming work had come. I looked, but there was no one to help me. I was amazed that there was no one to support me. So my own power, that word my own arm, a symbol of God's power. My own power accomplished salvation and my wrath. Now that word wrath is, uh, is, is translated wesed uh, kathi, which is my victorious right hand sustained me. So I trampled down nations in my anger, shattered them in the, my fury and spilled their blood on the ground. I will tell again of the faithful, gracious acts of Yahweh and praise him for everything he's done for us. The wonderful goodness, the riches of his mercy, which he has shown to the house of Israel, the abundance of his endless love. For he said, truly, there are, they are my loyal children who will not act deceitfully. He became their savior. Now, Edom is the descendant of Esau. It's important that you know that from the book of Genesis. Remember, Esau was the brother of Jacob. Jacob was the younger brother. Esau was in line to get, he had a birthright and a blessing that the father would always announce over the eldest. But Jacob, one day, Esau was a hunter. I love to hunt. I've, I've gotten a lot of, messages out of a tree stand 40 feet up and 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 uh but Esau was a hunter and he came in and he was famished and he told Jacob he said give me some of that 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 it was goat but he said that venison that savory meat because I'm about to faint and Jacob that word Jacob means supplanter it means deceiver it's a grabber if you will his younger brother said, what will you give me? He said, give me your birthright and I'll give you what you asked for. So he was so out of his, Esau was so moved by the flesh. He was so moved by the carnal hunger that he had. He was willing to give up something that was, a, 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 it was priceless. So he gave Jacob his birthright. We know later Jacob went into his father before Esau came home because his father was about blind. And uh, so he goes in and Jacob steals the blessing. He takes the blessing, grabs the blessing. Now, incidentally, when Jacob was born, he's named Jacob because uh, he grabbed Esau's heel as they were being born. And they called him Jacob. And, but you understand, Jacob is not going to be his identity for his whole life. But he took the blessing and then he had to run for his life because Esau became very angry. And, and uh, 
so as a result, Edom comes from Esau. Esau is actually called Edom. And you find out Edom has, was always an enemy to God. There was always an enemy to God. But, but I, I want you to picture this. That there was a time when the Edomites had come together against Israel. They made themselves a king. So Israel has come to battle. And they're standing in the Palestinian sun. And it's scorching. It's hot. They're sweating. They're waiting for the battle. And they're waiting for a word from the Lord. They're waiting to hear from the Lord. Because they're not going to fight unless they hear from the Lord. If you read Joshua 10, Joshua had subdued all the kings, defeated at least five at one time. And, he, and uh, he took all the cities that God said was theirs, that belonged to them. And, and uh, we know that this is the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And, and uh, so one verse in that chapter says that Joshua was victorious and, won all the, and took all the cities because the Lord fought for him. Now I want you to think about this. The Lord began to show me some things and it's connected to something very important for you and I to know. I want to tell you, first of all, we can never really know who we are unless we find ourselves in the Father. I know from experience. Unless we find ourselves in the Father, there's a counterfeit that the enemy wants us to believe about ourselves. And many times he uses other means, circumstances. He'll use situations. He'll use people, even use religion to try to get us to believe an inferior identity about ourselves. Now, Jacob was not always Jacob because he's running for his life. And at one point, he knows his brother's coming. And he goes to wrestle with God all night long. And, and he grabbed his brother's birthright, grabbed his blessing, grabbed his heel in the beginning. But one night he grabbed God. <laughs> he wrestled with God. Let me tell you, not a lot can happen. You know, you can get in trouble doing all that other stuff. But there's about to be a transformation happen because he wrestles with God all night long. And, and the, the Bible says the angel of the Lord says to Joshua, said, what is it you want? I mean, Jacob, what do you want? He said, I'm not going to let you go. He said, the day's breaking and I got other places to go and other things to do. What do you want? He said, I'm not letting you go. Do you bless me? And we know that right there, his name was changed from Jacob. His identity was not Jacob. He was not to live out his life. Every time people called his name, they were calling the, the grabber, the deceiver, the supplanter, the one who had stolen his brother's birthright and blessing. But God changed all that. He had an encounter with God that changed his identity. He said, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. You can, you can get rid of that name because I'm going to call you Israel because you have power with God. 
Now that's so important because we find Israel is facing an enemy called Edom. This represents all the enemies of God and, and our enemies as well. Whatever enemy will come against your identity, whatever enemy will try to make, convince you that you're, you'll never be good enough, make, make you even feel like an orphan, I'm telling you. The enemy, that we live in a world. You, you see all the stuff going on in the world, and I, I don't dwell on all of that because it's because of an orphan mentality. People who've been disconnected. And, and I want to tell you tonight that you don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that way. But we can be a light to those who are caught in that trap of believing something about themselves like Jacob until he wrestled with God. And there was a shift. So they're facing the enemy, Edom. And, and Edom represents the enemies of God and they're waiting on a word from the Lord. And while they're waiting, Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 63 and said, who is this coming out of the wilderness, coming from Basra, the city in Edom? We, we've been waiting for a word from the Lord because we've got an enemy to fight and he comes out, he's not weary, he's not tired, but he's the Lord himself. And he said, I just came from Edom. While you're waiting, I was fighting. Come on, I just came to tell somebody tonight that you think God is, where is God? You've asked the question, where is he? Because of all the stuff that's happened in your life. I know, I've been there. I said, Lord, how long? I've asked him a lot of questions, but you, you understand when you're asking him the question, you're actually answering the, an, asking the answer a question. And they're waiting, wondering where God is. And here he comes. He's already been down to where they... <laughs> He's already been down. But, but you understand something about God, about the Father, about this picture he's not in time we are I look in the mirror and I see how time made a mark on me <laughs> man I used to have a duck tail and everything no I mean my hair was it was really I, I had a lot of it then but time made a mark and and uh, it's okay because I'm glad to be here I'm glad to be at this age and, and to know that I can look back over the course of my life and see the battles that God fought for me. Even those battles I didn't know he was fighting. I found out he was really sustaining me and keeping me through all of those situations that he could have taken me under. Because there's a lot of enemies. That, and, and we know that when we see this picture unfold, we see a, a, a picture of a redeemer who didn't need any help, even though he said, I was surprised that nobody went with me to help me because he, he's, while you're in today, we're, uh, just grab, grab hold of this for a moment. You, you can't do this by, you know, there's something called Gnosticism, which is, there was a movement back in the book of Galatians where Paul is addressing even John. Gnosticism was a people that was saying that matter is evil only spirit is good, which means Jesus could not have been resurrected. 
And, and, and so they're, they're really, this is a new age thing that's not really new age, right? And we see here something unfold because Edom is a type of carnality, the enemies that we face, the, the taunting. And they were a really wicked people. And they came from a wound. I want you to think about this. They came from a wound. They came from Esau, who'd been wounded by his brother. We know God made restoration, but Edom came from a wound. Be careful, because God can heal those wounds, but we have to allow him to. And we see that he's coming, and he said, by my own arm, I did it all by myself. You can go back over in Genesis, you find Abraham. God is reassuring Abraham, the father of faith, of the covenant that he has with him. And this is before the law was ever given. God brings Abraham to a place where he says, I want you to sacrifice, I want you to kill the animals and cut them in half, lay them on the altar, and we're going to make a covenant. I think it's Genesis 14. He says, we're going to make a covenant. Because anytime you, in the, in the Middle Eastern culture, and especially in biblical covenants, when two people came into covenant, it means that only thing that can annul that covenant is death. Death of one of the two people. And, and uh, so when they walked between the pieces to make the covenant, they were saying, let me be as this animal if I break this covenant. But I want to show you something because Abraham was there till the evening and the Bible said the vultures, the birds are representative of Satan trying to come and steal the sacrifice because he knows the covenant is going to seal his fate. And Abraham drives him off with his staff. And about the time for the covenant to happen, Abraham goes in like, the, the Bible said it was a deep sleep. It was really like in the spirit probably. So he couldn't do his part of the covenant. Because God had already known that he couldn't keep it anyway. So God, the Bible said he saw the, hang with me now, we're going somewhere. He saw the torch, the presence of God walk between the pieces saying, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to curse those that curse you and bless those that bless you. Ooh. I'm going to give you your children, your descendants are going to possess a land that they didn't, they didn't build. They're going to have houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. That They're going to be able to enjoy the fruit of the land because I'm going to give it to them, Abraham. But Abraham is in covenant with God because God made covenant. Do you understand when Jesus went to the cross? I love the cross. Where the, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to them that are saved, it's the power of God. Jesus went. He hung between two thieves. But he's the only one who is the Son of God. And we've heard that God... <laughs> smote his son. I want to tell you, that's, that's not in Isaiah. 
Isaiah said, we esteemed him. We, we, we decided he was smitten by God. Jesus even says, when Moses said, if somebody plucks out your eye, you, he didn't say, you get to. You, he said, you got to. And Jesus in the New Testament says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, he, he's not saying what Moses said. Because you understand grace preaches something different than the law. Come on, somebody. Grace brings us into a place of freedom. So we see here a picture of Abraham coming into covenant, and we see the continuation of that covenant through Jesus. And now we're in that covenant, that same covenant, Galatians chapter 3, that whosoever are, uh, they, they are that are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Wow. So Jesus made covenant with the Father on our behalf. And when you and I enter into that covenant, let me tell you a story about a, a man who was a missionary in Africa. I've been to Africa. I've been to Uganda, Kenya. And, and, and I, I've experienced that culture. But there was a man who had a heart to bring revival to Africa. And he loved the African people. And uh, he, he got really sick. And he was staying in a village where the, the chief was the only one who had a goat. And the only thing he could drink was goat's milk. And he knew the only way he could get that goat is to come in covenant with the chief. So that's when they did blood covenants. So he, knowing he had a relationship with the people because he'd been there for some time and he was deathly sick and the only thing he could drink was goat's milk, so he came into covenant with this chief. Here's what that means, even in Africa. It means that he could put all his stuff out in the street. And if anybody touched his stuff, they were touching the chief. If they mess with his stuff, they're messing with the chief. Come on, somebody. You following me? So in this covenant, he's going through the jungle one day. And he's surrounded by this really vicious tribe. He's got the chief's robe on. It, it's a long sleeve, big sleeve robe. And, and, and he don't have any weapons. He don't have any. He's surrounded and he knows that this is a very fierce tribe and he could stand to lose his life. So all he does is raise his hands. And his sleeves slide down. And all he, he closes his eyes and he begins to worship and he said, all of a sudden, he said he began to hear the noise get fainter and fainter as that tribe began to dissipate into the jungle because they saw the scars. And they knew if they touched him, they'd, they would have to deal with the chief. They would have to deal with this whole tribe. Do you understand? <laughs> We're in covenant. He takes it personal. Even Paul, when Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus brings him to the ground and he says, who are you, Lord? He's blinded by the light. And, and the Lord says, I'm Jesus that you're persecuting. Now he's persecuting the church. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But he's making an obsession. Hebrews 7.25 says he's able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession 
for them. Why? Because we're in covenant. And so he takes it personal when the enemy pushes on you. When the enemies of God begin to taunt you and tell you you'll never be good enough. Oh, you don't know my daddy, my father. You ask him what he thinks about me. Come on, I want to tell you something. This is going to be so revolutionary. It so transformed my life. When I began to discover how delighted my father was in me. Not that I got everything right. I'm not perfect, but he is. He sees me through the perfect one. And he went to fight for Israel. And he'll fight for you. I want to tell you, I want to show you something else. Romans 8. Let's go to Romans 8 for a moment. Are you hanging with me so far? One of the most impactful things in my life. I've discovered his being in covenant with him does not deliver me from troubles. Because faith does not, it's not a bridge over troubled waters. I found out faith is a pathway through every trouble, every situation, even the things that I caused. So he says in Romans 8, I'm going to read it from the Passion. Verse 15. All my life, I heard the preaching and the message. I'm not talking about a feel-good, a, a, the kind of message that is, is like helps you with your emotions. I'm talking about a power. The power that's in the blood. The power that's in our covenant with Him. The, what Jesus did for you and me far outweighs anything sin ever did in our lives. I want to say that again. What Jesus did for us far outweighs anything in our past. amazing so here this mentality this idea it, it has to really get into here in your heart because knowing who you are in Christ knowing who you are how much you were loved by the father it's transformational it, it all of a sudden I realized that my whole life had been wrapped up in trying harder you ever, anybody ever been caught up in that? You, you tried harder? And you just couldn't... Yeah, I'm glad I'm not alone. I found out that I had to stop that. It wasn't about me trying harder. It was about me surrendering to His idea about me. How He felt about me. I can tell you that many people think that God is the one that smote his son on the cross, right? I can show you four places in the book of Acts 
where the preachers are, Peter's one of them, Peter and John, and he says, you crucified him. He's talking about those who were in sin. He's talking about the, the people who didn't understand and, and he went there for you and me. And all of a sudden, here in Paul is writing, verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of Receive the spirit of religious duty. Well, if I pray enough, I always thought that. If I pray enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I go to church enough, maybe I'll meet the standard that God will love me more. Boy, was I wrong. Because I can never measure up. I can never meet the standard that I thought was necessary until I begin to read this you, you didn't receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. I'm not talking about pride and arrogance. I'm talking about this, this humble understanding of what God sees us to be. Because he, he looked at Jacob. Jacob has an inferior identity. His identity is inferior to what I've created him for. So I'm going to give him a new name. Oh, let me go there. Isaiah 62, 4. He prophesies after 63. You've heard me, many of you have heard me talk about this before. But here's what God would say to his covenant people. He said, I'm no longer going to allow you to be called abandoned. I, I don't want you to feel and call yourself forsaken. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to call you Hephzibah. Hephzibah. I'm going to give you that name because my delight is in you. After all I've done? No, that, that don't even... His, do you understand if his love diminished one degree, it wouldn't be perfect love? John calls it perfect love. John writes about himself in the book of John. He calls himself the, the one that Jesus loved. He, he doesn't even use his name. It's amazing because he had this revelation of how much he was loved. And he, I, I thought he was talking about somebody else till I learned John's writing that about his self. The disciple that Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love the others the same. But John knew something. He knew something about how much he was loved. I'm going to call you I'm not going to call your land barren anymore. It's not going to be unfruitful. I'm going to call your land Beulah, which means married. That means wherever you put your foot, I'm married to your journey. Wherever you are, you may not recognize me or acknowledge me, but I'm there. David said, where would I go from your presence? That means if, he, if we called him to come, where would he come from? He is the omnipresent God. He's here with us, with us right now. So, so we have to come to this understanding that he says, I don't want you to ever fear never being good enough again. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. 
That means the spirit of adult sonship. The Aramaic can be translated the spirit of consecrated children. Wow. You've received the spirit of sonship. So he goes on to say, it's enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. The Aramaic, the Abba is not a Greek word. The Greeks borrowed it from Aram, the, Aram, the Aramaic, which that's what Jesus spoke was Aramaic. He didn't speak Greek. He spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And the Greeks borrowed that word Abba, which means daddy. He sent forth his spirit into our hearts so we can call God. Now, I want to take you to... Let, let's read on and then we'll go to Matthew 6. I want to show you something. You'll never feel orphan because the spirit in you will call God himself, beloved father, Abba, daddy God. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our own innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since you're his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. Come on, you, you don't have to measure up for that. We just have to come to an understanding of who we are in Christ through the sacrifice of his son. He redeemed us and, and he brought us into this covenant. Whoa. He said, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we're joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. That's covenant. Whoa. Man. Don't matter what your bank account looks like. Doesn't matter what people say about you. It matters what he believes about you. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of. He, he didn't say the faith in even though he had faith in Christ, he said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And I used to wonder, what does that mean? And I discovered, he said, I'm living according to what he believes about me. Paul, a Pharisee, separated one, follower of the law, persecuting the church. And he found out that God loved him on the road to Damascus, headed to persecute the church, God called him out. And Paul writes here, I'm his beloved child. So when we think about, look, look at Matthew 6 with me for just a moment. Everybody with me so far? You with me? Jesus is teaching his disciples about worry, about how those who are not in covenant, the, the, he talks about the, the needs and the situations. And he said in verse 8, he said, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles do. They expect God to hear them because of their many words. God's not looking for a hermeneutically, exegetically, theological correct prayer 
He's just looking for communication. Come on, you can talk to him. He speaks your language. I found out he speaks my language. I, I didn't have to figure out how to talk to God. All I needed to do was talk to him. Because David said, you know our thoughts are far off. You know what I'm thinking before I can even articulate with a word. You know what I'm thinking. You know me inside and out, Father. So he says, there's no need to imitate them. Since your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Now, if you look over in Isaiah 65, at the end of that chapter, the father says to the children of Israel who are in covenant, before you call, I will answer. And before you even tell me what you need, I will hear. Come on, you understand a God like that, a, a, a God who is more than just God, but Father. Father, Pater, the one who infuses you with his nature, with his DNA. Whoa. So Jesus, the disciple said, teach us to pray. Now I've heard it called the Lord's Prayer, but it can't be the Lord's Prayer because he didn't have any sin. In this prayer, he asked, if you've sinned, ask for forgiveness. Jesus had no sin. So that don't really, the Lord's Prayer, we, we know it's the Lord gave it to the disciples. We've called it, we've heard it, disciples' prayer. Well, I, don't, I, I really refer, prefer to call this prayer, and it takes 21 seconds to read it, to, to pray it. I've been hearing it all my life since I was a kid. It takes 21 seconds. Dr. Mark Rutland, who was a president of Southeastern Bible College when my son was down there, um, I did some weekends with him. Fantastic, amazing. He, he wrote a book called How to Change Your Life in 21 Seconds. It was about the Lord's Prayer. But I didn't get this out of that book. I got it, I think, through the, the Spirit's Understanding, because I like to call it, Greg, the Our Father prayer. When uh, I want you to think about this for a moment. They said, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father. Well, they had to step back because they're saying, you want us to call him the same thing you do? Because Jesus said, the words that I speak what I heard my father say, he said, the things I do, I've seen my father do. And he said, when you pray, pray like this, our father. You mean you want us to call him the same thing you do? Come on, you understand, this is powerful right here. This is amazing. Because Jesus is moving them from a religious kind of, activity and, and a thinking that they got to meet the standard and, and, and they weren't there yet. So he said, yeah. He said, I want you to call him the same thing I do because he loves you with the same love he loves me with. Wrap your heart around that one. He loves you with the same love he loves his son. Oh my goodness. Boy, that makes me rest no matter what life brings me. That brings me to a place of peace 
where I know he's got it because he's going to have the last say. And he's, he's watching over us with great care and great love. Pater, father, means what? If you read the King James in Matthew 6, he, Jesus uses father 12 times. Wow. But he starts off the prayer by saying to them, call him your father too. Woo. Your father. It's amazing. I was, uh, I'm amazed at times when I think, I see God's in the details. Sometimes I've been guilty of overlooking the small blessings. Because the scripture says, even the hairs of our head are numbered, not counted. They're numbered. God knows which number it is. Whoa. So I, I went out to collect eggs this afternoon. I got some chick. I love chickens and roosters. And, and I went into the run and took some watermelon. My chickens really go crazy over watermelon. And, and uh, my brother-in-law had brought me some, and I took it in. And they were busy doing that. And when I came out of the run, there's a duck and I, I, was, I had to do some research because the color, it was beautiful. I said, I looked at the duck. I said, where did you come from? Never said anything to me. And I said, here he is. He's got a green band on his leg. And uh, so I, I, told, I told my family, I texted my family a picture and a video because he wasn't afraid of me. He, I, you know, I, I would, he would let me get about six feet and then he would just waddle off. And, uh, but he, he didn't run. He just stayed around for a couple of hours. He's around the chicken coop because I guess he feels safe at my house and he knows I'm not a threat anyway. So, and, and I looked up the, I told somebody, I told the family, I said, he, he's got that ankle monitor. I said, he's maybe a fugitive duck. I don't know, but <laughs> whatever's going on. I, I did some research to find out that they banned a lot of ducks uh, just so they keep up with them. <laughs> So, so anyway, I, I looked it up. I think it, it, it's a cross between a Muscovy duck and a Campbell duck. It's got the beautiful color. And it hung around there, out there. For, it wasn't there when I left, but, but I was thinking when I was taking pictures of that duck. I said, I said Father, you just did that on purpose, didn't you? you? You just let me see another beautiful picture of your handiwork. Right here, next to my chicken coop, God, you just bless. I, I said, Lord, this, this is so cool. You're in the details. And, and so when you think about a father, the heavenly father, he said, when you pray like this. Now, the, the passion says, he says, I want you to in the same relationship with the father. And the passion says, our beloved father. Now, let me wrap this up a little bit if I can. I got an ocean to put in a thimble. Because I discovered something about my father. Now look at the beauty of his handiwork, his fingerprints. I see him all over. I see his 
handiwork on your lives. We're all different. 800 billion people in the world, and there's not another one like you. Wow. All of us have different thumbprints. Come on, think about that. We all have a different dental plan. I hope I get to keep mine <laughs> long as I can. <laughs> in the whites of your eyes, there's a little roadmap of capillaries that's unique to just you. So yeah, when God made you, he broke the mold because he only wanted one of you. That means when I raise my hands, I will lift up my hands, holy hands without wrath without fear he knows exactly who I am when I open my mouth and I call on him he knows who's talking to him come on he's you're not lost in the crowd I came to tell somebody you're not lost in the crowd David said in Psalm 121 I will look into the hills from what's come with my help my help comes from the Lord he knows who's looking in his direction Because my identity is secure in my Father's heart. And yours is secure. Don't settle for anything inferior about yourself. That the world or life itself in this world will try to get you to believe. Because I truly, I've experienced, I, I can't even explain to you all the times that I know the favor of the Lord, my Father, has been in my life. And I know you could testify of it too. And I look back and see the handiwork of God. But I want to just take us back to Isaiah 63. Just for a moment. Who is this that's coming out of the wilderness? Out of Basra, the city in Edom. While you're in today... I was in your tomorrow fighting so when you showed up it wouldn't be so stressful on you because I love you that much because I'm not limited to time we're in time he's not before you ever showed up he was in your tomorrow and he sustains you because he's still got a plan for you I want you to stand with me. <clears throat> what happens when you come into covenant with Father through Jesus? Jesus says in John 17 as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, this is eternal. Verse 3, this is eternal life. Not jumping through all the hoops, not trying to measure up to a standard, not trying to get other people to accept you. Boy, I've, I've lived that life where I wanted people's acceptance. No, he said, this is eternal life that they know you and they know me, your son. Wow. So I want you to wrap your 
heart around this fact that what he believes about you is that his delight is in you. No, one thing I always thought that God, and I tell you, the majority of people in the world, and and the church world especially, I promise you, the majority of people probably feel like God is probably disappointed with them. But no, I think he's fascinated with you. I want to tell I believe he's fascinated with you. I really do. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. That's not me finding Jesus because verse 38 of that same chapter says the field is the world. I don't need the world. I'm in the world. But, but there's no way I could pay for the world. So he found you in a field. And he hid you because you were the treasure that mesmerized the merchant. And he went and paid everything. He paid. He gave it all. Because he wanted the treasure in the field that's you and me. changes everything so if you're here today tonight I want to take a moment and just believe with you that God's going to bring you into this place of beloved identity where you begin to see yourself as he sees you and I want to, I want to ask a, 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 something that I don't think is really hard but I'd like for you to come if you wrestle with that your identity